Hey everybody, this is Zoe of DearQueens.com. I'm coming to you with episode three of season two of the Dear Queens podcast. Today I'm super excited. I have no idea why, but whatevs, just rock with me. Um, Today I'm talking about three common misconceptions for pursuing salvation. If you are newly saved, thinking about getting saved, or have been saved for years but need to rededicate yourself back to Christ, this one is for you. If you are new to this season of the podcast, I usually start my episodes with an intention for the next two weeks, uh, and then I dive right into the lesson, and then I go towards a story at the end. Um, This episode, I'm actually going to do things a little bit different. I'm going to start with the intention and then go into the story and then start the lesson, only because the story and the intention are very closely related, and so I want to get those done like a two-for-one deal. So let's start. My intention for the next two weeks is to show gratitude to the subtleties of God's blessings. A lot of times we are blessed in ways that seem so minute that we forget to highlight them and pay attention to them and be grateful for them. And so in these next two weeks, I am going to be very, very intentional about recognizing, acknowledging, and showing gratitude for those subtleties in God's blessings. I will do that by focusing and reflecting on God's goodness, even in the midst of the most challenging times of my day. Again, we often forget to be thankful for the smallest things that God provides to us. And so by allowing myself the time and space to focus and reflect on those things each and every day, I'm bringing more awareness to what those subtle blessings are. And I'm giving myself the space and the freedom to be grateful for them and to not ignore them. So if you yourself don't have an intention that you're working on for the next two weeks, feel free to join me uh, with this one. Again, it's to show gratitude to the subtleties of God's blessings, and I'm sure it'll change me as well as you. So please join in if you feel so moved to. Now for story time, just to give you a little bit of background before I jump into this, I used to want to be a forensic scientist. It was around the time CSI premiered and I thought what they were doing was incredibly fascinating, investigating crime scenes, taking the evidence, analyzing it in the dimly lit labs with their super dope lab coats. It was the greatest thing to me. And then I realized I sucked at chemistry and calculus wasn't my favorite and I knew that there were just way too many numbers involved and I just didn't have time for that. So I shift gears a little bit and I decided that, well, I wanted to be a detective. So let's figure this out. I didn't go to school for criminal justice. I didn't go to school for forensic science. I didn't do none of that. I went to school. I majored in what I majored in. I went to grad school. I majored in what I majored in. (laughs) And when I started working uh, at the police department, I found out that in my city, you had to be a police officer for three years before you could get promoted to a detective. And immediately I was turned off. I was like, well, I don't want to be a police officer. I don't want to be on the front lines. That's not what I'm doing. So let me actually just use what I went to school for. (laughs) So that's how that happened. However, that did not eliminate my eerie desire for everything investigative and criminal 
um, especially as it pertained to homicides. And so because of that eerie interest, I have been watching these terrifying videos of homicides. And as you all know, with the emergence of social media, with the emergence of smartphones, we have now more recorded evidence of these crimes happening. And unlike a lot of people who turn away from seeing such triggering, traumatic situations, I really go looking for those things. And it I honestly do believe it is because of my interest and my because of my past interest rather of wanting to become a detective. I just feel like I need to figure things out. I need to connect the dots. I have to figure out, you know, I have to read the article. I have to do all of that. Even if it does nobody good, it's just me trying to still like be in that and hone that skill and understand the inner workings of people people's minds and what causes them to do these things and all of that. All that weird stuff. But anyway, so With that being said, I've been watching a lot of those videos and the one that I've really been stuck on, like most of America in this current time, is the Junior murder. If you have not watched that video, please do not. It is heartbreaking. It is sickening. It is disheartening. And it is something that I just cannot unsee. Um, But I have been oddly obsessed with that. I've been following the case. I need to know who else is involved. I really need to know the real down and dirty nitty gritty of this case. However, I've been watching those cases, that case. I've been watching the one of the rapper who recently got murdered outside of the motorcycle shop. I have watched one maybe last month or so about the man who accidentally, accidentally, and I did air quotes, got shot in the vehicle and that I can never unsee. Um, And so I've been watching all of these cases, all of these homicide videos and following these cases. I've been hearing the news constantly of the things that are happening in my own uh, city. Um, Because, you know, once the the weather gets warmer, you know, violence starts to increase. So I've been listening to those stories in my own city of things that are going on and the shootings and the killings. And then I, you know, turn to CNN and I'm hearing about everything with the government and that mixed with me existing as a black woman in this society. I have become so fearful and paranoid and anxious about what it means to live right now. And I know that that fear is nothing but the enemy because it has been heightened to a capacity that it has never reached before. I have anxiety. I have had anxiety. Um, some it's it's pretty mild compared to some of the other people I know with anxiety. But recently, it's been so heightened, and I know that it's the enemy. So anyway, on Monday, I'm praying, and I'm in a very very deep prayer. It's not one of those now I lay me down to sleep prayers. It's like a Lord, this is what's going on. I rebuke all of this. I rebuke Satan that's coming into my like flat out. I lay it all out and I go to sleep and I wake up in a new level of comfort and feeling a new level of protection. And I feel great. And I'm like, okay, this is a new day. I'm going to conquer. I'm going to be fearless. I'm not going to be paranoid. I'm not going to have an anxiety attack. I am not going to cry today because all of those things happening is incredibly triggering and it, it makes me just want to cry. Uh, and so I'm carrying on about my desk, start my day and I'm like, great, this is wonderful. I get to work uh, and so <laughs> at work, 
there has been this campus coyote. Now, about six weeks ago, I saw the coyote. I snapped a picture of it. It's huge. Uh, And so since then, I hadn't seen it. Also, it's important to know that when I first saw it, I was in my car. I was at the gym about to get out. I saw the thing hop out the bush and I said, okay, well, no gym for me today. I'm going to just go on about my business. Like that's how we avoid that. I start my day on Monday and I am walking to the building and I recognize that I forgot my ID to get inside of the building. So I walk back to my car. As I'm walking back to my car, a black man, now that's very important, a black man yells to me from about 20, 25 feet away and says, hey, miss, watch out for the coyote. Now I look up and I'm like, oh, oh, hell, oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Like, (laughs) what? Excuse me? I look up. I see the coyote. I am about three steps from my driver's side door. The coyote is about eight feet behind my car in the parking lot. Okay. He's not in the forest. He's not in the woods. He's not hiding behind a bush. He's in the parking lot as if he had just gotten out of his own car and he was about to go punch into work. Okay. He was right there in the parking lot. The crazy thing is he was right where I usually park when I don't get as good a parking spot as I got in that day. Okay. So I see him. I take my three steps. I hop in my car. I lock the door. Because, you know, coyotes got hands and they could just open the door when they see prey, right? Because that's what they do. I locked my door. As I locked my door, a colleague of mine pulls up next to me because she wasn't sure if I had seen the coyote. She rolls down her window. She says, listen, there's a coyote right there. Do not get out of your car. She was like, we're going to wait for it to pass. And as it passes, we're going to go in the front door. And that's exactly what we did. We waited in the car about 10, 15 minutes let him walk by. And instead of going in the side door, which leads directly to my office, we both gathered our things and went into the front door. Let me tell you how, to, how scared I was. Okay. I was so afraid that when I got out the car to finally run into the front door, I had left my car running. Okay. And I have a push to push to start car. So, you know, you can get out of the car with the key in your hand and the car is still running. So my colleague is like, girl, your car's on. Girl, I don't care. The car could go, okay? I need to get out of here. Because if I got to turn my car off, I'm sitting back in my car for another 20 minutes. Anyway, <laughs> so I we, we walk into the building. The whole day, I'm anxious. I'm While I'm anticipating the end of the day, I was afraid for the end of the day to come because I knew I would have had to go back out there and I don't know where the coyote was, especially since I didn't see it the first time. I knew in that moment that it was just the enemy trying to get to me because he was mad that I prayed the way I prayed the previous night. And he was mad that I woke up refreshed and restored. And he was mad that I was determined to conquer this day in a new way. And he was mad that I was fearless. And so I knew that he had to instill fear back into me. He had to instill paranoia and anxiety back into me. However, in the same token, I recognized God in that moment. Right, going back to the intention about recognizing the subtleties of God's blessing. While I saw the coyote, and while in that moment I was so afraid and so frightened by its presence, I also recognized God's presence. God provided that that protection that I had that I prayed for the night before. And he sent it by way of a black man. Now, if you follow my blog, you know that two months ago. I wrote about an incident I had with a black man and how 
the other black men around did not protect me and my line sister. And I wrote about how it's so important now for black men to advocate, stand up for and protect black women. And so it was no coincidence that the man that essentially saved me in that morning was a black man. Not only did he holler to me about the coyote, but he stood there and waited for me to get into my car and waited for me to waited for him to know that I was going to stay in my car for a little while. I was literally in my car for about a minute or two before he even walked away. He didn't run from the coyote. He didn't uh, ignore that I was walking back to my, like he didn't do, there were so many different ways that that could have gone, but he took it upon himself to let me know that there was an animal behind me and to make sure that I safely made it in my car before he even thought about walking into the building. And that was huge. And that was God. The other thing was my colleague pulling up, right? My colleague was coming into the parking lot. She saw the coyote. She could have easily turned around and parked on the opposite side of the lot. She could have turned around and brought herself right back home. She could have ignored that I was even getting into my car. But she didn't. She drove up to me. She made sure that I didn't plan to get back out of my car. And then she stayed with me to make sure that we both could get into the building safely, that was God. So as frightening as that moment was for me, and as much of that moment as I attribute to the enemy trying to bring me back to that level of anxiety and fear that I was feeling all week, I also recognized that God was there providing those subtle blessings to me. God still provided that comfort and that protection that I needed in that moment. Because had my coworker never pulled up and had I not been able to get out of the car with her to walk to the front of the building, I wouldn't have gone to work. I would have turned around and went home. (laughs) But God was still there. And so when I talk about recognizing and showing gratitude for the subtleties of God's blessings, especially in challenging moments, that's exactly what I'm talking about. So often we think that God showing himself is him making sure that these bad things don't happen. But a lot of times him showing himself is about him showing himself during the bad times. If we were happy all the time, we would attribute our happiness to ourselves. If we were peaceful and joyful all the time, we would attribute that to our own doings. However, when we're in our most challenging moments, when we're at our lowest point and we feel like ourselves being lifted in some way, we have no one else to attribute that to but God. And those are the moments that are important for you to hold on to, to acknowledge, and to be grateful for. Because he doesn't have to be there, but he is. And it will behoove you to recognize that and to really, really appreciate that. And so that's my story. And that's why it's so important for me to show gratitude for those moments because they don't have to be, but he does and he shows up. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. And for those of y'all who laughed at my Instagram story as I was sharing this, I got some words for you, but I'm not going to say them on this podcast because y'all did wrong. And I wrote every last one of (laughs) y'all how I felt because y'all were really hollering. And I know it was the way that I told the story on my IG story that made y'all laugh so hard, but 
it, y'all, these white people, these hashtag white people trying to normalize this coyote sighting thing. I ain't got time for it. I had to cancel that whole day. I was not around. I wasn't, I was like, God, you came through, but I'm still not around. I need to sit here and gather myself for the rest of this, for the next eight hours of this work day. I need to do nothing but gather myself. Okay. And that's what I did. So (laughs) anyway, let's jump into today's lesson. So three common misconceptions for pursuing salvation. Let me start by saying I take great pride in bringing women closer to Christ. Uh, I love to do so through practicality and personal narrative. I feel like the best story I can tell about the successes of salvation is my own story, my own testimony. And I feel like one of the best ways to get people excited about pursuing salvation is through practicality. A lot of times we so over-spiritualize this journey and a lot of times, yes, it calls for it, but in other moments it does not. It really is about living your life right and we underestimate how easy that can sometimes be. And so I want to highlight how easy that can be uh, while also highlighting, you know, the hard times and the challenging times through my own personal narrative, but really giving you practical steps to take toward pursuing salvation. When I started Dear Queens, it was because there was a need in my heart for women to understand the the ways to pursue salvation. When I got saved, I didn't really have any of that. I didn't have anyone telling me or making sense of what the word meant. I didn't have anyone coaching me through how to now be a saved woman. I had no idea what it meant. And so I created this outlet to be that to y'all. However, I also know that salvation, the understanding of salvation is often misconstrued and turned into something that it may not be. And so I know a lot of times when women get saved, they have these expectations that oftentimes aren't met. And when they are not met, that is the fastest way to lose your faith and to just completely give up. And I just don't want that to happen to any of you. I don't want any of you to say you don't want to be saved. I don't want any of you to denounce your uh, salvation because it wasn't what you expected. I really want to set you all up for success. And that is a point for everything that I do with Dear Queens. And so when I share these three misconceptions, I want you to take them with a grain of salt. I want you to recognize that they are misconceptions. (laughs) Um, But I'm also going to let you know, like, it's a journey. Like, it is a journey and it is a fulfilling journey as much of it is as it is a challenging journey, but it's worthwhile and it will change your life, but you will have to go through that journey and you will have to go through that process. So let's start. The first one is one I hear a lot. <laughs> I read microblogs about it. I read Instagram posts about it. I read tweets about it. And it really grinds my gears because it's just so inaccurate. So the first one is, the minute I got saved, my life changed. Ooh, girl. No, it didn't. I get so irritated because while you can feel a certain level of conviction 
when you get saved, your entire life does not automatically change the minute you get saved. It does not happen like that. Salvation means that you are saved through Christ by grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. So essentially, you are saved through Christ, not by your own doing, but by God's being, because his being is to save us, right? Essentially, when God sent Jesus to this earth, he sent him so that he can first understand the plights of mankind and show us that we can live according to his word, Okay, Jesus was the example of living right. So that's why you'll often hear things like live like Christ or what would Jesus do? Because much like us, Jesus was pushed, tempted, tempted, demonized, fearful, and in so many other things that you have also been. He's experienced so many other things that you have also experienced and so many emotions that you have experienced. And we're challenged to think like him, to live as pure a life as possible, free from sin. However, because we are sinners, we were created and we sinned. (laughs) The second reason God sent his son down to earth is so that we could be saved through him. He came so that he can save us from our sin. When Jesus was crucified, he was a sacrifice to save us from our own sin. Okay. Got, you're, you're tracking with me, as Torre Roberts likes to say. You're tracking with me. So when Jesus was crucified, it, was, it served as a way out for those of us who believe in his redemptive power. Essentially, what you're saying when you pursue salvation is that you believe that Christ died for this reason and you recognize that you have sinned and you understand and have faith that Christ will save you from that sin. Okay, it is pretty much you welcoming Christ into your life, forming a friendship with him and allowing him to do his work within you. However, that work does not happen automatically. Should I say that again? That that work does not happen automatically. Accepting and pursuing salvation does not happen garner immediate change. Perhaps after you receive salvation, you'll feel freer through the admittance and repentance of your sin. Perhaps you'll feel excited that you believe God will do a wonderful work in you. However, your life circumstances do not immediately change. God may begin creating change in your life. God may begin shifting and rearranging things in your life, but your life does not immediately change the minute you pursue salvation. Much like worldly friendship that takes time to learn and cultivate, a Christ-like one does too. You must spend time with God. You must learn to love him in his ways. You must learn the, the principles of your salvation. You must learn about obedience and form that genuine communion with, with God. But to suggest that your life immediately changes the minute you receive salvation is incredibly misleading and it does not happen that way. God is a miracle worker, absolutely, but he is not a magician and he will not do things on your command. So don't think that you walking up to the pulpit and getting saved in that moment will change your entire life the minute that prayer is over. 
That is not how it happens. The stuff you walk into that church with will be the stuff you walk out of that church with. One of my favorite adult moments was getting baptized. I was baptized as a child, but I didn't know what that meant. You know, in that moment, it seemed more like a task for my mom of, you know, giving her children unto God, right? By sacrificing us in a sense so that we can govern ourselves with his spirit in us. Um, It was just, it was honestly her offering us up to him as his children, um, And perhaps it was her way of protecting us, right? My mom was not heavy in church. She didn't like the hypocrisy of church. And so I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that outside of church, she prayed. My mother has always been just a good woman in general. And so I know that she was carrying herself in a very Christ-like manner just by nature because that's who she was at her core. Um, But she didn't participate in any of the the extra church stuff. So (laughs) in my adult life, when I started diving into church and learning about God and learning about the Bible, I felt like I needed to get baptized as a sense of renewal and restoration and redemption. And it was perfect because at the time I had just found my church home. I'd fell in love with my first church pastor. It was everything that I needed. And so my first and only really church pastor uh, baptized me. And it was so beautiful. I remember that day. I will remember that day forever. Um, But one thing that my pastor made sure that we knew was that when we came out of that water, as symbolic as it may have been, we will have the same problems that we had when we went into that water. Because despite the symbolism behind these things, both baptism and salvation, True manifestation of change and transformation takes work. So no, it does not happen immediately, but it absolutely does happen. The second one is when I thought myself, I used to beat myself up really, really hard about this because I felt like there was a certain level that I had to be at to get saved. And I quickly realized that that is not the case. And so the second one is, I have to get myself right before I get saved, y'all. And that is so wrong because God doesn't want anyone pretending to be perfect to come before him. God knows your heart. He knows what you do. He knows how many times you do it. He knows how wrong you are. He knows when you're wrong, when you apologize and when you don't. God knows your thoughts. He knows every single thing about you. And the last thing he wants is anyone coming before him halfway thinking that they are where they need to be when in fact they're not. God also doesn't want you to think that you can change yourself by yourself. Part of salvation is allowing God to work within you. But how can you allow him to work within you if you think that you've already done everything you've needed to do before you even got saved? God wants you as raw and flawed and broken as you are. He does not need you to heal yourself for him to receive you. He will do that. He does not need you to fix your own heart before he'll accept you. He will do that. Jesus died to redeem you. You do not have to do it yourself. The process of journeying through salvation will work out all of your kinks, but it'll do it in a way that's pleasing and strategically ordained by God. It'll happen in a way that's divinely ordered. 
God will reveal things to you that you, (laughs) God will reveal things to you that were problems that you had no idea were even problems. And he'll do it with love and he'll do it with grace and he'll do it with patience, but he'll do it. You cannot highlight all of the wrong in your heart. Because a lot of what you have learned to do and who you have learned to be comes from the world that you exist in. So if you're not accustomed to operating in the spiritual realm, you won't know how far out of alignment you are with your spirit. And so when you get saved, God essentially connects your spiritual walk with your worldly walk and the Holy Spirit will convict you in moments where things need to be changed. You can't really do that on your own. It's almost like somebody has to tell you about yourself. And God is that somebody that's telling you about yourself, right? So you can catch very surface level things like when you get an attitude for seemingly no reason or when you're impatient or when you know you've just been super rude to somebody. But the very, very deep things, the things that you need healing from, the things that are deeply rooted, the things that go back to trauma that you experience at different points in your life, that's stuff that God has to uproot and change for you. And those are things that you cannot change for yourself before you get saved because you won't even understand what those things are. So you don't have to get yourself right before you get saved. Instead, you have to surrender yourself to God so that God can get you right after you are saved. Okay, God does not ask you to come ready for salvation. God just asks you to come for salvation. So be mindful that as jacked up and raggedy as you are right now, God will still receive you and he will still change your life. And last but not least, this is also one I struggled with for personal reasons, but it is. I have to have a church home to get saved. I would love to have a conversation about how you, your person, (laughs) how you are the church. I would love to have a conversation about how the church is just a physical venue, but the works and spirit of the church lie in the heart of its congregants. However, I will save that for another episode at another time. The building you get saved in is absolutely irrelevant to your salvation. Okay. The church as a venue is not the church. You are the church. Your heart is the church. The dwelling place of Christ, which is you, your spirit, is the church, not the venue. Salvation is a work of the heart, not the venue. When I first started going to church and pursuing salvation, I was not a public praiser. I did not want to get saved publicly. I did not want to shout. I was a very private worshiper. That's just who I was. And for a long time, I felt like I was wrong for that. I felt like I was hiding. And then I read a book and it really brought, it really drove home the point that we all worship in our own ways. And while some of us need to be public with our worship, others of us just want to commune directly with God. And we don't want to be extroverted when it comes to our spirituality. 
And so the same applies to church. I didn't want to get saved publicly in church. I was new. I was shy. I was a natural introvert. I didn't want any of that attention. I didn't need anyone clapping for me as I walked down the aisle. I didn't want hugs afterward. I didn't need any of that. Okay. I simply wanted to give myself to God. And so I did so privately. I actually ended up texting a friend of mine who I was working with on starting her women empowerment organization. She was the only devoted Christian that I knew, the only one amongst my peers that had been living uh, for Christ for a certain amount of years. And so I asked her if I could get saved out of church and how that happens. And she told me which scripture to read. And she told me a prayer to say. And so that night I cozied up on the floor in my living room, knees bent and prayed the scripture over my life. I softly played my favorite gospel song in the background. I threw my hands up and I really surrendered myself and my life to Christ. I confessed my sins, I asked for forgiveness, and I opened my heart up to God's way. I was completely humble, I was apologetic for everything, and I was just in true submission to God. I didn't have any of the glitz and glam of church organs or people laying hands on me. All I had was stillness in the presence of God. I got saved on my living room floor about six years ago. And I can promise you that that moment changed my life just as much as it would have had I gotten saved in church. It does not matter where you get saved. It does not matter if you have a church home or you don't. All that matters is that you submit yourself to Christ and allow him to begin his mighty work in you. While being saved with the support of a church congregation can help you on your journey, it is not a necessity. There are plenty of believers online and in your area who are more than willing to help you on your journey. Since I am one of them. If you are on this journey, if you, like me, decide to get saved in the comfort of your own place and you need someone to reach out to to help you on your path, to guide you, to direct you, to answer the questions that you may have for you, and you don't have a church home, I am here. Contact me. Hit me up. Send me a message, a carrier pigeon, snail mail, an email, something. There are so many of us faith-based bloggers. There are so many of us faith-based podcasters. So many of us Black women who are here and ready and able and willing to help you on this journey. You do not have to feel alone. You not having a church does not mean that you have to go through this process alone. You don't. You don't. If you don't have a church congregation that you can rely on, come to me. I got you. But I don't want you to allow not having a church home to stop you from changing the course of your life. You do not need a church to get saved. All you need is your heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in. I hope that addressing and recognizing those three misconceptions has helped alleviate some of the stress you feel 
uh, on your new pursuit to salvation. I hope that it has in some way inspired you to ignore everything that you hear around you and to just go for it. I promise you it is one of the most amazing things that can happen in your life. It will change the course of your life, the way you feel about yourself and everything as long as you allow God to do his mighty work in you. Ignore what people are saying around you. Ignore uh, the the misconceptions that people are throwing out. You do not need a church home to get saved. You do not need to get yourself right before you get saved. And salvation will not automatically change your life, but it will change your life in time. I want you to rest on that reality, rest on that truth, and allow your heart to make the best decision you can for the life that you want to live. If you have any questions going forward, feel free to let me know. Shoot me an email, z at darequeens.com. Find me on Twitter, z darequeens, or on Instagram at z.darequeens. Share with me your stories. Share with me how your intentions are going. And share with me if you decide to get saved, to rededicate yourself, or if you have just recently gotten saved. I would love to celebrate you. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great, great day. And the next time we'll talk is on July 15th. Talk to you soon. Oh.